Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rentoval Now. This episode is titled Taking ESG Investing to the Next Level. ESG seems to be at some sort of inflection point. There's clearly a need for greater levels of standardization and disclosure as the industry matures, and there's a shift to the next phase of ESG investing. This includes issues such as being more focused on a just transition, how we model financial materiality of climate risk, considerations around diversity, equity and inclusion, applying forward-looking data, and engagement over exclusion and divestment, plus various other topics. So here to share their insights, I'm delighted we have two industry specialists to discuss how we can advance ESG for investors globally. Lara Kesterton, who's head of ESG research for the MTX boutique of Ontobel Asset Management, and our guest speaker, Julia Harker, Managing Director for Market Strategy in Moody's ESG Solutions Group. So let's jump straight in. Julia, I'm keen to ask you the first question, and then we'll get Lara's insights. Julia, as ESG has become more commonplace in discussions between regulators, corporates, investors, and other stakeholders, what do you see as the main hurdles for investors specifically as they look to incorporate ESG considerations into all of their decisions? One of the basic factors is that many investors still have lack of resources and expertise that they can use for, for their ESG efforts. But there are also some external factors that are less easy for them to overcome. One of them is that the data quality is not always perfect. And also some data is not available. And data is really, you know, the starting point for, for any kind of investment decision. So. That's one of the problems. And then there's also still a lack of standards and a fear of being accused of greenwashing because some investors have been facing some, some issues like that in the recent past. Laura, turning to you, and I understand that you've got a little bit more of a focus on emerging markets, where clearly there are also lots of headwinds for ESG investing. Can you tell us what some of those are? Picking up on where Julia was, the biggest change in emerging markets is while there has been a big leap forward in in the last, say, five years, there still exists a very large gap in terms of ESG, both data and ESG performance between emerging markets and developed markets. And we are seeing a proliferation of regulations relating to ESG across emerging markets and, and especially in the APAC region. They're at different stages of being either just proposed to being full force and effect. And, and in many cases, we're seeing a, a time lag for actually those regulations having an effect in terms of seeing data. So what I would say is in terms of the standardization, we're a very long way off from having harmonized, reliable, comparable ESG data regulation and application. And I would say that in emerging markets, they are tending to follow the lead of the West, particularly Europe, but not leapfrogging them in ambition. I'd also say there's quite a big difference Speaking of resources between companies, so large caps, especially with considerable foreign ownership, they will be closer to the international standards. Whereas small to mid caps, it's really much further from the top of their agenda. I mean, in many ways, ESG topics are sort of a, a maturity issue for companies. And in many emerging markets, companies are simply younger. So they're more focused at the moment on, on growth and profitability, especially given the last 
few years in terms of COVID and the wider market issues. So ESG kind of, you could say, has taken a bit of a back burner also for some regulators. We have a strong focus on China and we could say that those issues are particularly acute there and there's been less progress on data. But you could say, on the other hand, that the common prosperity goals of the government have got strong alignment with ESG factors because they are very much a focus on the S issues that ESG covers because they're essentially about social equality. So on the one hand, while there hasn't been so much of a push on ESG data, the topics that the government is focused on, like cracking down on corruption, the gig economy, the explosion of in the real estate market, these are actually very aligned with ESG topics. Thank you both for those initial insights. I mean, it clearly seems that there are many challenges for investors who are, of course, different stages of their own ESG journeys. But Laura, given what you just highlighted as some of the considerations and headwinds, how would you suggest that investors could make ESG fit for purpose for them against the backdrop of what you've described? It's really about moving on to the next phase, which is more sophisticated, moving away from simplistic scores that try and encapsulate in one number everything about the company, moving away from simple screens or narrow applications of ESG data and getting more sophisticated on the topics and more in the breadth and depth of issues. So it's really broadening ESG. So topics like just transition, diversity, equity, inclusion, gig economy, cybersecurity, a bigger range of topics. Obviously, there are some some key burning ones that have been there for some time, like net zero, and these are increasingly under the lens. Investors to get more sophisticated on how they evaluate climate, physical risks and carbon transition risks and costs. But it's important that the E is not just synonymous with carbon. Biodiversity is often talked about as the the new climate change topic and investors are are getting increasingly aware how acute the risks under this this header are, but that also many challenges remain in terms of how you measure and map data relating to biodiversity to companies. And there's a very significant challenge in that sphere. And I think another aspect is that's really been underway for some time is this gradual shift from ESG as a a risk-focused movement, which is where it started, to more an impact movement. And I think a lot of these kind of clashes and frustration with ESG is that it is this movement in transition and there's sort of different expectations from where it started from this as a a risk-focused approach. And so bringing the impact even into the mainstream part of ESG practices is is sort of ongoing, I would say, at the moment and, and very much driven by regulators and clients pushing for that, which also correlates with engagement and, and putting that more in focus and requiring ESG investors to do more to engage with the companies that they own and collaborate with other investors to leverage their voice and be aware that that can also be an alpha generating tool. So it, it does relate to the original side of, of risk. I think the other points are kind of, as you said at the beginning, big data for using big data. Obviously, ESG has been around for longer now. So we have larger data sets. We can try and focus more on forward-looking data, predictive rather than backward-looking. 
But inherently, ESG covers these messy, complicated, interrelated intangibles, and they don't fit into binary boxes. So a lot of it is about expertise and depth, sectoral depths and and ESG experts who can basically handle these kind of complexities and, and use their expertise. I think the greenwashing pressure overall speaks to clarity and reporting and transparency and being honest that you can't be all things to all people. So potentially building a range of products to cater to different client preferences rather than be all things to everybody. I focus there, I guess, with always a emerging markets head on. So I, I would turn to Julia and ask, how do you see things differently in, in developed markets in terms of the drive for data transparency and standardization? And also in terms of investor due diligence and in terms of companies, how they avoid fragmented reporting. We're seeing a lot of efforts worldwide, not only in developed markets, but really covering the global sphere in terms of improving company reporting. And once again, that's really the starting point for for sustainable investment, getting the right information. So there's a strong recognition really everywhere that the reporting of companies on ESG and sustainability factors needs to needs to improve. So in Europe, we really see from our data perspective that the large companies have really improved their disclosure over the past 10 years. But even in Europe, which is really the most mature market in terms of disclosure and reporting and sustainability, corporate sustainability in general, we still see that smaller companies are still at very early stages and on their um, corporate reporting, ESG reporting journey. So even Europe, there is still a lot to do. So yes, as I said, in terms of standardization, there are these important efforts. And the one global initiative is the ISSB, the uh, International Sustainability Standards Board created last year that is now working on a global set of sustainability standards. And in Europe, we have the EFRA that is working also on a, on a European set of standards, which in turn will be turned into or will be used for the corporate sustainability reporting directive. So mandatory reporting uh, that will be rolled out for 50,000 companies throughout Europe. And that's going to be a very big undertaking and will change things in terms of outcomes of corporate ESG reporting. And yes, we as a data provider are really looking forward to this improved reporting. We really see a need for a harmonization of those upcoming standards because companies will be facing a difficult choice to make if there are different sets of standards. One is a global standard, so that's something that most companies will want to use. But on the other hand, if there is a different standard in Europe, which is mandatory to use, then the choice, at least for European companies or even global firms that are reporting to or that uh, face a lot of European investors, they will have this difficult choice to make. Thank you, Julia. Another point following on from a couple of things that have been mentioned is to talk about greenwashing in more detail and in particular how investors, in your opinion, can put in place certain processes to get the required levels of comfort when making investments. There are a set of standards 
regulations, taxonomies that will really help investors and already do, right? Help investors with guidance as to their decision-making and their communication as to what is green, what is sustainable and what can be marketed as, as such. And really in particular, one of the efforts underway on the European side is SFDR, so the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations for investors that will help them define the level of sustainability of their funds. So the famous article 6, 8 and 9 level funds, that's really a tool that investors can and have to use in Europe, but also elsewhere can use those rules to help pull together their funds, build their ESG-related funds or sustainability-related funds and investment decisions. We've already seen that actually there have been fund reclassifications where investors had decided that a specific fund is, for example, an Article 9 fund, so you know, very strongly ESG-focused fund, and that has been reclassified to Article 8, for example. So we've seen data published by Morningstar that, uh, that have identified 16 reclassified funds from Article 8 to Article 9 in Q2 uh, 2022. So that's an interesting movement to see. And actually, the additional information or the, the information that investors have to publish or report on will even become more stringent starting January 2023. So there will be a call for increased transparency and a more unified framework. So Lara, this is really all from <laughs> rather my point of view in, in developed markets. What is your emerging markets perspective on that greenwashing issue? The big difference is actually on the availability of ESG data and on the minimum performance levels. So getting into the grit of SFDR requirements, part of that is the, the PIEs, the principal adverse indicators, which are used to identify do no significant harm. I mean, ESG, sorry, is, a, is full of all these acronyms and special terms, but in these we're focused on across the market, we're all asked to report data on, on very specific indicators. And when we look at some of those, like gender pay gap, actually only 3% of MSEI emerging markets reports and any data on gender pay gap and or maybe you look at uh, female board quotas that's another pie and um, while in Europe there are increasingly quotas in place and and in fact they're being tightened like the 40 percent in France whereas in emerging markets many countries have no minimum quotas so in terms of how that translates in 26 percent of boards in emerging markets are all male Whereas in Europe, it's 0.9%. And the same when you look at average number of women on boards and across emerging markets versus developed markets, it's roughly half. So there's a big difference in performance and disclosed data in emerging markets. So that's obviously tricky when you're trying to comply with Western standards, which is all about performance and disclosure. However, emerging markets isn't void of regulation. I said at the beginning, there is this onslaught coming. It is behind. So there is further progress on bond standards, listing rules, having ESG elements to them, or corporate governance standards being updated and seeing more ESG aspects in those updates. 
And also we do increasingly see dedicated ESG reports, which used to be maybe actually more of a storytelling or a PR piece, spot stories of like nice events that they've run, et cetera, but really lacking comparable data, year-on-year perform improvements with like hard data that covers the whole company. So that's the sort of thing that's improving. But as I said at the beginning, it's patchy and definitely the best performances with larger companies and those with more foreign orientated either ownership or sales or how the business is orientated. So we're very far from having consistent, comparable and comprehensive data in emerging markets. Um, thanks for that, Laura. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about topics such as biodiversity, the S and ESG, and others. Would it be really interesting to understand what the opportunities are that you see for investors in some of these emerging areas? Yeah, impact or sustainable investing is really an in vogue topic talked about a lot, and inflows in Article 9 have certainly held up much better in recent months than they have in Article 6 and 8. So it it would give the impression that this really is the hot topic area, although in actual aggregate sense, this is really still a niche area. And our expectation is that it will stay that way because as investors become more aware that this niche area has much higher burden in terms of reporting, in terms of how stringent the rules are, and we can expect those rules to, to ratchet over time. That's what the discussions are. And and certainly what we're also seeing is beginning of a plethora of further layers on SFDR implemented by local regulators. So AMF in France or BVI in Germany, new rules coming next year in the UK. So there's another overlay coming, which tend to be stricter than the SFDR. As a whole, social topics have definitely soared in prominence. ESG was very definitely focused on the E for some time and and, and S has definitely come back into focus, especially with the pandemic, which focused attention a lot on workplace culture, job security. At the same time, there was also this big redundancy people focused on and there was more overall more job position than there were job hunters. Also focused obviously on supply chain security that was put in focus by the COVID and home shoring movement. In the US, the Black Lives Matter put more acute focus on diversity, equity and inclusion. And then news focus on the Uyghurs is one example of human rights being more in focus. So, so there's definitely a, a rise of S issues. And I think that the wider message there is that ESG is, is an evolving topic. I mean, the sub-issues, the intangibles that it tries to measure are evolving, like society and politics. It is basically a reflection of those and trying to measure the most most important that can have an impact on companies and how companies can impact on society and the environment. So, So I think it's natural that investors will have to keep evolving their frameworks, keep keep alive to this dynamic element and turn to a wider range of sources to address that, especially specialist data houses. When we look at issues like biodiversity, we quite often have to turn to kind of niche data houses often born out of academia or NGOs. It poses different additional challenges. What I haven't talked about is the net zero movement. And I wondered if you could expand on that and where you see the role of investors in continuing to drive net zero movement. 
So yes, Lara, that's definitely a very important question. So the UN has actually estimated that there is a need for 125 trillion of climate investment that is needed by 2050 to, to meet the net zero goal. So there's pretty much consensus out there in the market that financial players and financial markets have a critical role to play in moving financial flows into those investment needs. And we, we have really seen since, since COP26 a very important move to commitments by investors. So, for example, there is the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative that has collected over 220 signatories already worldwide. So really many, many investors committed to reaching net zero by 2050 or, or even sooner. So on the commitment side, we've seen a lot going on and that's a positive evolution. But then really taking concrete action is much more difficult for investors, and I keep coming back to the, the data issues, right? The high quality data that is needed to really be very focused in investment decisions on climate issues is not necessarily there yet. And also guidance from regulators is not always yet very helpful, um, especially on measuring what we call scope three. So basically the emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions that lie outside of the direct sort of influence or responsibility of a company that are either upstream or, or downstream, like upstream from the supply chain or downstream through the products and services sold by a company. Measuring these scope three emissions is, is really still very tricky and there is no unified methodology for that out there. So investors are really not always very sure about how to tackle that issue. Once again, data issues, scope three, also, you know, scenario analysis, temperature alignment, all, all of these different, very technical undertakings <laughs> that are needed to make sure that an investor really lives up to their commitments is not always very easy. And and obviously also, once again, investors also need the reliable commitments from, from the invested companies themselves, right? So yeah, difficult and long journey ahead, but it's definitely very encouraging to see all of all of the commitments that that investors are are really willing to take on to go on that journey. Thank you, Julia. We've covered a lot of ground. I'm keen to ask you both a quick final question to wrap up the session. Julia, I'll start with you building on some of the comments you've made. ESG is now confronting a lot of short-term versus long-term considerations. A lot of these have been highlighted. So what, in your view, is next on the ESG agenda for investors? Climate is really highest on the agenda for investors now. That's really coming from regulators, but also public debate and, and from people that are convinced about that issue themselves. So climate is really very high on the agenda with net zero, also taking into account physical risks and also uh, looking at adaptation, not only uh, mitigating greenhouse gas emissions, but also how will um, the economy be able to adapt to, to climate change that uh, that is already happening and that will most probably 
become stronger over the next decades. But then biodiversity, and Lara has mentioned it several times, is, uh, is, is really being called the new climate now because it's such a pressing and, and urgent topic as well and threatening topic for the economy. So that's definitely another very important issue that also investors have to tackle. And there is already regulation underway, especially to report on, on biodiversity impacts and dependencies. And so a lot going on on that, on that topic as well. And then Lara's mentioned it as well. Uh, the SNESG is, from my point of view, really also the one of the hot topics out in the market uh, right now. Probably the trickiest to define, right? Because Human rights, labor rights, they're not viewed in the same, from the same perspective and in the same way and evaluated in the same way around the globe. So, yeah, there are a lot of discussions about social taxonomies and so on right now. And yeah, we're really eager to see those discussions evolve over the next months and, and couple of years. Thanks, Julia. Laura, looking forward from your point of view. Are there particular steps or actions you'd like investors to take now to help meet their desired ESG outcomes? It's really a focus moving from simple frameworks or headline scores to appreciating that ESG has complex qualitative data that needs to be get a hold of using expertise and depth of due diligence, but also using big data and, and forward-looking statistics. So it is this blend of quantum and qualitative of data and appreciating that that it doesn't boil down to a, a single number or letter, but it's more about the holistic view that you get of a company that is enabled by doing this deliberative, detailed and, and also dynamic due diligence that gives you a, a view of these intangible qualities around surrounding a company. It's also important that ESG is really embedded in the fundamental research, that it's it's not siloed thinking. And we've also talked about how ESG has been on this journey from a risk-focused approach to increasingly impact-focused, so how it impacts on, on the real world. And I think that as that has evolved, these two sides of the coin have been blurred together. And one thing we're looking at is, is, is how we pull the, the two apart and not try and add apples and oranges, but but focus on both, but separately. And finally, I would I would just re-highlight the, how important engagement is. In order to move the needle, we do need to use our voice and our access to company management, which is really what puts the pressure on, on ESG for the financial sector, because we do have this amazing voice as shareholders and access to managers. So don't be afraid to bang the drum, collaborate with other investors, and coordinated action can have the biggest impact. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Certainly between what you both said, huge amount of clear and practical guidance for investors to navigate a challenging environment, but one where, as you both highlighted, there's lots of reasons to be optimistic and move forward along this ESG journey. But for now, I think we'll leave the conversation there. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts. For those of you listening, we really appreciate you taking the time to tune in. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Bontobel Now, and we will bring you further insights on this and other timely topics very soon. Thank you. This recording is for information purposes only 
and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments, to affect any transactions, or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever, except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed, or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, Vontabel will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information, or Vontabel's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract, or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information, or any part of it, or for any problems with this information, which could not be lawfully excluded, is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you, or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance, and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance. Today's guest speaker is not an employee or representative of Von Tobel. The views expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Von Tobel. Environmental, social and governance or ESG investing and criteria employed may be subjective in nature. The considerations assessed as part of ESG processes may vary across types of investments and issuers and not every factor may be identified or considered for all investments. Information used to evaluate ESG components may vary across providers and issuers, as ESG is not a uniformly defined characteristic. ESG investing may forego market opportunities available to strategies which do not utilise such criteria. There is no guarantee the criteria and techniques employed will be successful.